Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, Executive Director at EdSource. Talk about a pressure cooker. The roles of school principals have always been a juggling act, but the pressures of a pandemic that's now approaching two years has truly tested their limits. So I used to be really good at giving tests like an exit exam or the SAT, and now I'm really good at COVID testing. Recent research shows that one in five principals quit every year. Almost all say they experience some form of job stress. Students are dealing with hardships, some new, some exacerbated by the pandemic. Families are asking for help and understanding, while districts in the state are making their own demands of schools. How are these California education leaders responding to these unprecedented times? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. When I brought my daughter back to her school in person this fall, mid-pandemic, one of the first changes I noticed was the principal. The principal out on the street directing traffic to make sure drop-offs and pickups go okay. The principal personally testing students for COVID when they return from winter break. The principal sending out message after message about how many students are staff tested positive, doing the contact tracing herself. The pandemic has been a lot for teachers, parents, and students. But principals, too, have borne the burden of keeping the whole thing together, maintaining functioning schools amid the chaos and constant change of the pandemic. And while we've heard a lot about the challenges families and teachers have faced during the pandemic, the experience of school principals often goes unspoken. EdSource recently held a roundtable for principals to share what this school year has been like for them. Julie Giannini Prevede is a principal at Dow's Prairie Elementary School in McKinleyville in Humboldt County. She says that things that she usually faces at the beginning of a typical school year just keep coming up as COVID circumstances change again and again. I sort of feel like it's Groundhog Day August all the time. I'm replanning and redoing my year, throwing out schedules and redoing them. A lot of the problems that I'm solving aren't problems that will exist in a month. One of a principal's responsibilities is making sure the school is fully staffed. A teacher gets sick, they bring in a sub. During the pandemic, especially during surges like Omicron, it's a daily struggle. Greg Moffitt is the principal at Fairmont Charter Elementary School in Vacaville. You know, your day starts at eight. It actually starts hours before that, right? You know, your cell phone starts buzzing, emails start coming in. You might make the mistake of opening up the online absence uh, management system and realizing that you have 10 to 20 staff members out. And really, it's solving the staffing Rubik's Cube all day long. And sometimes there simply aren't enough subs. When that happens, a principal might become a teacher, a nurse, or, well, anything. I might be the crossing guard. I might be a paraeducator for a one-on-one student. I might uh, be out on the playground. I'm always out on the playground because we just haven't been able to fill our two student monitor positions um, since the beginning of the year. Um, I might be in a classroom teaching. Um, I might be serving lunch in the cafeteria. So the pandemic has made all the old familiar jobs of a principal much harder and more complicated. But on top of that, principals have been burdened with entirely new responsibilities that they've never faced before. So I used to be really good at giving tests like an exit exam or the SAT, and now I'm really good at COVID testing. This is Vito Chiala, principal at Overfelt High School in San Jose. My day now, although it starts at 6.30, by 7.30, I am a COVID tester. 
And so I spend the first hour of the day testing students who are coming back to school from quarantine or testing staff who are coming back from quarantine. And when a student tests positive, it sets off a whole cascade of notifications and contact tracing and quarantines. We have to identify all the people in all of their classes. We have a pretty good system for that. But for a high school student, that's 150 students. Um, on one day, we had 35 students test positive. That's, that's the whole school time several times. Then when students come back to class after quarantine or isolation, there's another job for principals. Here's Killian Betlock, principal of Elmhurst United Middle School in Oakland. Now there's like this added tension of like, so-and-so says they're clear. Did they show anyone a negative test? I don't see them on the list. And just like ramps up that anxiety that like actually should be like, we should be building the opposite and, and you know, don't want to let someone into the room that like isn't clear. So I think that we've all been on the situation of, you know, in the same few moments getting yelled at for having a dirty school that passed COVID to somebody and then also being yelled at because you told a kid, uh, you know, you told someone's kid that they couldn't come to school for 10 days, right? And so you're getting both of it at the same time. Um, and that's always a joy. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. This week, the challenge of being a principal during COVID times. I'm Zadie Stavely, and I'm talking with my colleague John Fensterwald this week. He moderated EdSource's recent roundtable discussion with principals. Hi, John. Hey, Zadie. Pleasure to be back. What stood out to you most about the roundtable with the principals? Well, one of the things that stood out was the only thing that's predictable about their day is how unpredictable it is. This is not what they signed up for. I mean, the ones we talked to were veterans. I, I was surprised how... They were ready to do it, whatever is needed for the cause they do. But it, it's, it's taken dominance over the things that make their job, which is to lead the school and inspire teachers and work with kids and talk with parents. All this gets shoved aside by the daily immediate needs. So, John, I know you looked into the research on principles and stress, and there was a study yes. that, that just came out of the RAND Corporation, I think. Yes, one by RAND, one by Learning Policy Institute. And RAND found that there's just a lot of stress among principals and that 75% or so just feel stressed in their job. One quarter of principals are thinking about, you know, just leaving. And the data shows about one in five per year do leave. So, um, you know, I was thinking, well, we had five principals. You know, one of those may not return, but those are veterans. You know, they're in it because they're committed. They're used to crises. And I think they're really committed to the, the students. But I think some of the perhaps newer principals may not be able to deal with these overwhelming circumstances and older principals may be saying, you know, uh, it's time to retire. So, John, this might seem like a silly question, but why does this matter? How does it affect a school, you know, students and teachers when principals are being pulled in all these different directions and are stressed or don't actually enjoy their job? Right, because their job is really essential. You know, we know how important teachers are with regard to making connections with students, but principals, in fact, work with all the teachers. And there's research that a good principal can have as much effect on learning as individual teachers because of his or her collective effect on all of them. Also, it's really key uh, when you hear why teachers left a school it's not money, it's often the leadership that they had and the conflicts that they had or didn't feel like the principal had his or her interest at heart. And, and that's really important because the principal sets the culture of the school and really determines whether or not teachers want to remain in the school. And then, you know, some of the principals discussed 
that in addition to the stress and anxiety they're experiencing, there's all the stress and anxiety that families and children are experiencing. I know Julie Giannini Prevede talked about the kinds of behaviors she's seeing in elementary school children. Some of them were three and four when the pandemic started. And so they really sort of extended toddler land for a while, you know, and until they got to first grade. So it's a huge leap for them to go from, you know, this extra, you know, six years of really being in the home with mom and dad and, you know, having all of their basic needs met and now first grade and we need to learn to read and we need to do all the things that we need to do in first grade. So we're seeing that. And then we're seeing a lot of struggle um, with peers because they haven't had those opportunities. Well, that affects every level of schooling. And, and Vito talked about it and in high school. They haven't been around other students for a year and a half. And Vito said, we all felt that we were going to come back from remote learning in a couple months. We were going to reestablish the culture. And here it is five months into it, how difficult it has been because of just the fragility of some of the students and the mental health issues that they're dealing with. And just little simple things like you have to show up on time to class and don't be late for class. These are sort of things you take for granted, but all of a sudden they're relearning these kinds of habits that have been lost over the last two years. We seem to be hearing from teachers and from principals that this year is hard partly because of all the added stressors, but also partly because people are having to relearn what it's like to be in school. And Killian Betlock spoke to that. Adults like didn't have their, didn't have their, you know, pick your metaphor, right? Didn't have their sea legs, lost their calluses, whatever it was, right? Like I remember like some kids were you know, barking at each other and I was like, kind of standing there just like being like, oh, wait, what I say? There's a thing I say in this moment, right? And you're like, oh, right. I haven't had to say it in 18 months. And that just also means that you're working harder. Enrollment drops are costing jobs at California's community colleges, where part-time adjunct professors are the backbone of the system that serves 1.8 million students. Many work semester by semester, sometimes with few or no benefits. EdSource takes a deeper look at this gig economy in education. Visit edsource.org adjuncts for more. So, John, I know you asked the principals about the one-time funding for COVID relief. And, you know, we've called it a huge windfall for schools. This COVID relief funding is going to make a huge difference. Um, what did they have to say? Well, all of them said, we're not ingrates. We thank you for the one-time money, but that's not going to solve the kinds of inequities and problems that we had that existed before the pandemic will continue once the pandemic is over. Here's Vito Chiella and Julie Giannini Prevede talking about how the biggest problem with the one-time funding is that it's going to end. One-term dollars are great, and we've done some really amazing things with them, and we've been able to create, I don't know, summer school programs and, and enrichment programs where we're able to bring students back to school and get them out of their houses after, after being isolated for so long. Um, but at the end of the day, those dollars are gone, and then we're left with the same problems we had before, um, except stress on staff means that even the staff we used to depend on is like, what can we do next? Where should we go? So I make class sizes really small for one year and we're magically gonna fix every kid's problems in a single year from the entire pandemic and from before the pandemic. And now, you know, now we're gonna let all these teachers go. I mean, the one-time funding is really um, not effective. Um, it's great. 
it was great to have smaller class sizes this year and to have that extra support. I'm a huge proponent of like the fact that we need to get in the business of training teachers, not this idea that somehow teachers are going to learn everything they need to know in a year before they've ever really been in a classroom. And then that's over. Um, that's not how it happens. Okay, John, so training teachers. This is a huge deal in California. It's really needed, not only training, but also, you know, keeping and retaining teachers. I know the principals also mentioned and talked about that. Yeah, they did. Many of them felt that the state has not done a good job both attracting and training and retaining teachers. It's true. Now, California has thrown a lot of money at this problem in the last several years. We do have, have residencies where teachers can come and actually work under the guidance of a good teacher for a year. We have the Golden State Fellowships that basically fund their time in school uh, as long as they commit to teaching in a low-income or high-need school for three, four years. We also have programs to in, encourage hourly workers to become teachers. There are lots of programs. One of the questions we have to, to look at is, will people in this time when they look around and they hear how unhappy schools are, whether they're willing to go into this profession. Here's Vito Chiella. For years, we've depended on the heroism of educators to make schools work. And at some point, being a hero day in, day out is not sustainable. Um, and, and if we want people to choose the profession and stay in the profession, we, we have to make the job work sustainable day in, day out. I also think we just have to be honest and offer, right? Whatever, you know, teachers may need at the time. Leda Garcia is the principal of UCLA Community School in Los Angeles. And if they need a day, even though we know there's not going to be a sub, you know, I know that sometimes you just need to go or your child's sick or your partner's sick. And all we say is, yeah, go take care of that. That's the most important thing. And here's Killian Betlock again. You shouldn't have to go into debt to be a teacher. It shouldn't be this expensive to be a teacher. It shouldn't be this hard to be a teacher. Um, when we think about just like our complete lack of like a state uh, initiative around how to access the, the huge number of after-school program staff we have who are much more likely than the average uh, teacher to look like the community in which they work. There's a huge percentage as you talk about uh, uh, being bi or trilingual, um, all skills that we're like desperately in need of. Um, I think about those things a lot. It, it, it just really seems like there's a lot of hand-wringing around like where are the teachers going to come from? And it's like, well, what, what's, what's our work, right? And like, where, where are loan forgiveness programs? Where's that zero money down mortgage housing uh, support for teachers? Where's some like real, like critical thinking on how we're going to reform compensation so that it matches like, you know, when you're 27, you want to start adulting and your step and column system is just like not getting you there. John, what about keeping principals? So we talked about how many principals are thinking about leaving their job and there's so much stress that perhaps that's getting worse. California traditionally has had the largest ratio of students to teachers and to principals in a school. There just aren't a lot of administrators. You you always hear cut the budget, cut administration. But in fact, many of these principals are really going solo. That's why they're pulled in, in so many different directions. The other factor that Learning Policy Institute mentioned was salaries. Many principals aren't paid that much more than highest paid teachers. And when you consider that the hours that they have and the stress that they go on and all of the responsibilities, then that, that additional money is not enough to keep them in that position. So if salaries is an issue, then you're going to have to face that reality and raise them. But the other thing that was mentioned repeatedly is 
They need time to meet with others, to have networks. As, as Leda said, I'd like to do all this, but every day I'm solving problems. I just don't have time for the kinds of trainings and step aside and do the kind of professional development which are key to a, pr a principal's job. They've all gone by the wayside lately. Offering some time, right, like a sabbatical to be able to do some other work or just renew yourself, right, like things that you want to do or study, I think that would be ideal. I think as principals, you know, there's so many pieces to our job. And a lot of times we wish we just had more time and more energy to be able to pursue things or set things up for our school. Because sometimes the day-to-day -day just makes it really hard for you to pursue those other things or partnerships when you're just caught up, you know, 12 hours a day just uh, putting out fires. Leda Garcia also spoke about needing to keep a connection with some of what she loves about the job. So it's not all COVID testing and contact tracing. I think for me personally, even with everything that's going on, I still have to have direct connection to students, for example. So whether I go into a classroom once a week or I tutor certain subjects, or I do certain subgroups of students or I organize students in the elementary level, you know, some leadership kind of things. I have to have something that keeps me rooted uh, and that I can really speak to when it comes to teachers. Is there anything else you'd like to add, John? All these principals reaffirm that despite all these troubles, they're really committed. They considered education something that is their life, but also that they hope we will look at school differently than we did before. Then we can learn how to address and change the culture of a school and some of our goals. I still love working with young people. I still love working with students. I, I still believe education is the answer to creating a more equitable society. Um, the frustration really comes from not being able to spend as much time focused on those things and a lot more time focused on things that um, honestly in the big picture aren't just aren't as important right now or maybe they're more important and that's why we do them. That's robbing maybe robs us of joy in the moment but I guess at least for me I hold out hope that at some point we'll be able to get back to um, just really doing the work that, that schools were created to do. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools, a production of EdSource. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to Killian Betlock, Vito Kiala, Leda Garcia, Julie Giannini Prevede, Greg Moffitt, John Fensterwald, and our director, Ann Vasquez. And a shout out to my daughter's principal, Brianne Zika, and all the other principals out there keeping things together. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join me next week 